welcome. Thank you for being here, guys. And thank you for being on missions a week. This is a church that being on mission is really, really important to our, our church. And we've really, we've tried to elevate uh, living on mission. So, some people even ask why we meet in schools. I want you to know one of the reasons we meet at schools, probably the highest and most important reason we meet in schools and have for 20 plus years, is because we're a church that believes on being on mission. We, we want to leverage our, our resources, all of our resources, as much as we possibly can for people in ministry. We've been doing that for 20 plus years. And honestly, we get it that it's not the most comfortable place. Like, some of you still have your coats on. And I'm just going to, I'm going to prep you. I'm going to prep you. It's going to get colder as the, and we talk to the, to the custodians and they're with us. You know, the head custodian's a Jesus person. He's like, I'm with you. We want you here. I can't promise that the heat's always going to be on. So, um, or the elevator's always going to work. And so we get it that it's a little bit challenging. Like if, if this really was about the comfort of the saints, if this, really, if this existence of this church was really about keeping up with sort of a, you know, the competition among churches, then we would do this different on Sunday mornings, okay? I just want to promise you we would do it because I, I really like smoke machines. Anybody? I like them. I'm actually I'm not, I'm not a negative Nancy about that. I, I love that. Like, I think that's cool. I watch it too on TV, right, or YouTube. I love that, like, laser light show and worship. I'm like, I'm there. So I, all, we would do it different. But the truth is, is mission is such a key, important part of this church. It's why we're here in the East Side Tacoma. It's why we're here in Lincoln High School. And it's why you're going to be hot sometimes in the summers and cold sometimes. Well, you know what? You're going to be hot in the winter sometimes too. I, that was the other part I tell you. That sometimes the heat's really on, okay? So does that make sense a little bit? So as a church, we've done some, some kind of crazy things during COVID. We launched a church, okay? Nobody did that kind of stuff. And it was, it was challenging. And this year, we sent a family off on mission. And for a small church, it's a really big thing. So we've been a church on mission. One of the things that we do every year is we have a part of the year where we, we use to be a mission focus. And so that little card you got in... And let me tell you just briefly about a little explanation is every time you give um, to Jesus, to God, through Discovery Community Church, a portion of that goes directly to missions locally and internationally, okay? Um, however, there are some mission partners that just need more than that. And so a missions team wrestles and they pray and they try to figure out what is a scalable thing for us to really ask our people to do. And so they've put out this ask that over and above your tithes and offerings, to consider giving towards our mission partners. And so here's, no one, we're not passing an extra plate today, okay? We're not going to pass them and then count them and be like, "Uh uh-uh, let's do it again. That's not happening, okay? But here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to pray and come before the Father and say, how can we be engaged as as a family um, how can we be engaged in missions in 2024 in a way that's exceeding what we're doing right now? And for you, it might be saying, you know what? I, I'm on a fixed income. We have, we have some saints in this church that live off of SSI. And I want you to know it's really, really hard to live off Social Security. Anybody say amen? You know a little of that? Okay, it's hard. And some of those saints tithe. And... I want you to know that that $79 a month is an incredibly beautiful gift to God, okay? And 
if you're, if you're sitting here looking at this, you're like, man, I'm, I'm giving my $79 and I don't know. Here's, I want you to know something. You can pray this year. And that prayer is an offering to Jesus. And so I want to ask you, as you this week think about how you can partner, if you know before God that you're being a great steward, and though your heart longs for more, and there's probably a little bit of frustration and maybe some guilt there, and I really don't, I want to take that guilt off your shoulders, man, because it shouldn't exist, okay? But I know how that goes. I know you want to do more. But if before the Father, you know I can't. I want you to know that you making a commitment to pray in 2024 for mission partner makes an incredible difference, okay? And I want you to know, if you can say, I'm going to give uh, $10 a month, it could make a difference. Amen? Or if, 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 you, if you're one of those people, you know, the families that God's given you the ability, and you can give $1,000 a month, I want you to know that before God, it can be an incredible gift. So I want you to pray this week. Next Sunday, we're going to have a moment for you to turn in your commitments, okay? And then when we're done, we're, we trust God to do the rest. That's how we've always operated Discovery, okay? be honest, money's tight. But you know what? God always gives. Anybody remember that word? Anybody remember that word? He gives everything. There's another E word. It rhymes with "uff." Anybody? Enough? Enough! God always gives. Some of you don't believe that because you're like, does that really work in my house? I'm preaching a different sermon than this right now, but anyway, I got to get to my notes. But God always gives. He always gives enough. He gives enough to the church. He gives enough to his mission. He gives enough to you and me. Um, what God promises, he's always good. Okay, I got to shift gears, and I got some good stuff to talk about, okay? So you, you ready? So I hopefully you brought your Bible. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're in the Gospel of Luke together. And uh, pull my notes up here. Our generation needs a Jesus-centered church. Our generation needs Jesus-centered churches, churches that are centered on Jesus, His mission, and His Word. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I'd like you to kind of repeat that back to me. He's, our world needs today Jesus-centered churches. That means that they're centered on Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus, his mission, and his word. It is what, is what our world needs. It's what our generation needs. It's what every city, every town, every, every county in the United States, every country around the world needs is Jesus-centered churches. And I know that when I say church, that we all have different pictures of church. We have a few pictures up here behind me, I think, of churches. This is my hint Maybe they're going to pop up, maybe not. Don't worry about it. It's not that important. Okay, so, but you get it. We, have, we all have different pictures of what a church should be and what a church should look like. But what is key for us as followers of Jesus is to get back to Jesus' picture of church. Okay? Is that it's time for us to shed our experience or our cultural baggage when it comes to church and fall in love with Jesus' picture of church. Now, as, a, as a, a church, every Sunday, we're walking through the Gospel of Luke together. And one of the things I hope that you are seeing is some foundation bricks that Jesus is laying for what will become the church. 
He starts this in, in, I believe, in Luke chapter 9, and he's building all the way through Luke chapter 11 these different bricks, these foundation stones for what a church should be and look like. And at the center of Jesus' heart for his church is the Mosaic on Mission family. I'm going to say that again this morning. It's Jesus's, at the center, at the heart of Jesus' vision for his church is the Mosaic on Mission family. This is Jesus' heart. Now, in Luke chapter 11, Jesse began our, our series last week. Our series is called Tomato, Tomato, How to Get Along When We Can't. Okay? And so our whole series, I think it's relevant for being online. Anybody amen? I think, it's, I think it's super relevant for navigating our political atmosphere. I think this series is relevant for navigating your, at work, in our neighborhoods, and in our families. But really, the focus of this series is how to live this out in the church. Because God's heart and vision for His church is that it is a mosaic on mission family. In Luke chapter 11, something really interesting takes place, starting in verse 14. Our series is from 14 to verse 36. And in verse 14, Jesus performs this miracle. He heals somebody. I don't know if you've read through the New Testament and read the healings of Jesus, I, I just want to tell you one of the first things I think of is, why couldn't I be there? You ever, when you read something in the New Testament, do you ever read across something like, man, it's unfair. I would have loved to have been there. Of course, I always picture myself being on the right side of the story, right? I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been on the right side of the story. I probably would have been on the wrong side. But I always like, man, I, wouldn't it have been so amazing to watch Jesus heal somebody with his hand? I long for that and wish for that. It's, Luke records that Jesus performs this miracle, and he says the multitudes are amazed. Everybody is like, whoa, this is amazing. We got to be here, stand here, watch this thing happen. It was so incredibly cool. Now, while the multitudes were amazed, verse 15 says this. There's a couple of negative Nancys. You guys see that in Luke 15? Luke chapter 11, verse 15? Luke doesn't say negative Nancys, but you get it. Anytime something cool happens, there's always somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Right now, when I say there's always somebody, you probably got a name for that. Don't say their name. But you probably know somebody at work, somebody in your house. They're just negative, right? It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if something great just took place. They're like, man. And they got something negative to say. And they're mean. Just, it's just mean, right? Now, I'm not sure exactly what uh, your mom said about mean people. I'll tell you what my mom said about mean people. She said, ignore them. Did your mama say anything like that? If you're around someone mean, just ignore them. Tracy and I, we have four kids. Our youngest daughter, she had this little phrase she picked up in like elementary school. She called it, drive your own bus. And she's like, if, if everyone around you is negative, she says, I'm just going to get off their bus. I'm going to drive my own bus. And, and we love that. I mean, she learned, that was a, as a little kid. She's like, I'm, was, how's your day today? And she'd sometimes say, mom, dad. I just drove my own bus today. And that was code for, there's a bunch of meanie weenies around me. And so I'm just choosing to ignore them. So that seems to me like conventional wisdom. Fair enough? Like if people say, like, man, what do you do when your clients are, they're, 
their butts, you know? What do you do when you go to work? It's just so negative. What do you do? You just say, hey, you know what? Just ignore them, right? Does it make sense? Okay, that's conventional wisdom. What's so weird to me in Luke chapter 11 is Jesus ignores that. He ignores conventional wisdom. Like, he performs this miracle, and he's got a multitude. They're like, let's go. There's excitement. There's a movement happening. There's things going on, and now there's some negativity. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't ignore the negativity. He doesn't give his attention to the multitudes and say, let's storm this place. Let's take this place for God. He doesn't do any of that. He stops the movement, the cool, awesome energy, and he diverts it to the negatives. Why does he do that? Because Jesus wants to focus on some important building blocks. And I want you and I to pick up, and we're going to read a little bit, starting in Luke. Oh, sorry, I looked at the clock, but you guys buckle in. We're going to go fast. <laughs> Listen, I'm, honestly, this stuff is, is so essential, so I'm going to go quickly, but I want you to see it, okay? Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 21. Jesus is talking to the negatives, and he says, When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted, and he divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Verse 24, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through every place seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives... It finds the house swept and clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse, worse than the first. And as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed! Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Verse 28, Jesus replies, Blessed rather, no instead, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Okay, so... I want to recognize that this verse is, this passage of scripture is often confusing to people. People are like, seven spirits, and worse than the first, what's happening? So I'm going to cut to the chase here. Jesus is talking to negative people, and he says to them, I agree with you. The world is full of conflict. There's conflict all the time. There's a battle raging Everywhere. In fact, sometimes you think you've got the battle solved. Sometimes you think you got rid of the negativity, you've figured it out, and before you know it, it sneaks back in again and it catches you off guard and it's worse than it was before. There's emotional battles, there's relational battles, and there are spiritual battles that are real in this world. There's a ton of conflict going on in the world. There's a conflict going on right now as Jesus is talking with these people. There's conflict. But in the middle of the conflict, Jesus says something. And I want to read it again, and I want you to catch it. Jesus says in verse 23, but in the middle of all this conflict, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Do you realize what Jesus is doing at that very moment in the middle of that conflict? He's inviting the enemies to join the movement. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry to the very end of his earthly ministry, 
He was passionate about collecting um, people and pieces that shouldn't go together to bind them together around a mission and create something beautiful. A minute ago, I talked about the mosaic. I don't know if you've ever seen a mosaic. I'm fascinated by art that's made as a mosaic. If an artist wants to make a piece of art using a mosaic, they intentionally find things that are not supposed to be together. And they place them together to create something beautiful. And an interesting thing about a mosaic is it operates different than almost everything else in the world. For instance, um, I'm nearsighted. Anybody here nearsighted? A couple of you? Okay. I'm nearsighted. I, I wear thick glasses or contacts. I'm older now. I now wear contacts and glasses. It's getting worse. Okay. So, um, I, but if I want to see something, if I really want to see it, if I want to know what's going on, for instance, if Tracy comes to me and she says, man, my thumb is killing me. I think I have a splinter. I can't see it with my glasses on. So I take my contacts out or my glasses off, and I'll get a flashlight, and I'll look in really close. I'm like, there it is. I found it. I know exactly the problem. And then I, she hates this part. I'm like, give me a knife. Well, I was cross-eyed for a second, just a minute. So. But literally everything in this world, if you want to really see what's happening, what's going on, what the cause is, you've got to dig in and get super close and you can find it. You tracking with me? A mosaic is the opposite. You, you cannot see it up close. Up close, all you see is conflict and, and things that don't go together. I, I, um, sort of the, the, the legacy in my family line is filled with artists. It did not be, get passed down to me at all. But I have a, a great-great-uncle that was a rather famous Western artist. Uh, and um, when I was, a couple years in our family's life, we had two of his paintings at the bottom of the stairs in this house we lived. And he painted these two paintings not as a mosaic, but he used this technique where they take oil paint and they use like knives and just put clumps of the paint on there. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I, I, I would love to come down the stairs, come down the stairs right there at the landing were these two little paintings, and I would do the same thing. Take my glasses off, and you get up close, and I'm like, this is amazing because these clumps of paint make no sense. Why would you put these colors like this? And they look so haphazard and honestly really ugly. But if you take a step back and work your way up the stairs, what looks so ugly and like full of conflict becomes this beautiful painting of a harbor and ships in the harbor. God chooses to create this incredible piece of art for the world to see his goodness and his grace by taking people that shouldn't sit next to each other and he puts them into a family. He takes Matthew, the tax collector, who is getting rich off of Rome. He puts him with rebels. He says, live out the mission. And then in Jesus' final prayer before he's crucified, he's, he's in the garden and he knows the chains are coming. He knows the cross is hours away and he prays. 
Father, may they be one, just like you and I are one. Then the world will know that you have sent me. From beginning to end of Jesus' ministry, he was passionate about inviting, inviting people together in family that shouldn't even sit at the same table. And it is time for us in the church to work together. I'll say that again because I got like three amens and there should be a bunch, right? It is time for us in the church to work together. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is commissioning the church and he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Listen, I want you to understand that businesses will come and go. Nations will rise and fall. But the church of Jesus Christ will prevail until Jesus himself returns. You are part of the most important organization, institution, movement on planet earth. And when we live that out... We live it out with grace and mercy. God's mission flourishes. Our world needs a Jesus-centered church more than ever before. And for us to do that, we must find a way to work together. I'm going to give us three brief things that we must do. Now listen, as I say it, I just want to confess. The church has been trying to do this for a long time. So I, I'm on, there's no sort of thoughts here that like I'm going to give you these three things because there's way smarter people trying to do stuff right I'm just going to share with you the three things I think the church has been trying to do for a long time and we wrestle with three things that I think are necessary for men and women who are so different from one another what we must do if we're going to work together to fulfill the mission of Jesus Jesus said if we do not gather with him we we scatter man so we're either with him in this or we're fighting against him so number one If we are going to work together through our differences, we must grow up together in Christ. Number one, we must grow up together in Christ. Look at verse 23 again. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And if you like to count, there's one word that shows up three times. Look at your your Bible. What is it? One word that shows up three times. It was not a complicated one. I'll read it again because it's not on the screen. Ready? Verse 23, whoever is not with me, okay, hold on, is against me, and whoever is not gathered with me, what what was it? Who is me? It is Jesus. And Jesus isn't self-centered. He's not self-centered. There's just no other answer. There's no other answer for the crisis in the Middle East. There's no other answer for the violence in our streets. There's no other answer for broken families. There's no other answer for the intense identity crisis that this generation is facing. But Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven 
given to mankind by which we must be saved. First John chapter 5, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If we are going to work together, it takes more than just a good attitude. We have to have a shared commitment to Jesus Christ and to growing up into him. Amen? Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 5, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Then he says this, it's no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Man, if if we lose our distinctives, in all honesty, the church does look like almost any other organization a lot of the times. We look like a business sometimes. Sometimes we look like a, you know, a PTA. Sometimes we look that way. We do similar things. We, we hang out and we eat and we do things other groups do, but we have something that makes us distinct. And what is that? It's Jesus. It's our conviction, our shared conviction that it is Jesus and only Jesus that changes everything. Now, I don't want to oversimplify that. Because here's the deal, in a church, in a healthy church, I'll say it again, in a healthy church, we are not all there. You can't find a healthy church, and everybody in that church is all there. So we're not talking about like, you've got to pass a test to get in. Once you pass the test and you're in, What we're talking about is a shared commitment to grow into Christ. I'll say it again because this is the key. It's a shared commitment to grow into Christ. The the call for everybody in this room is the same. To wake up every day and long to grow closer to and reflect more of Jesus today than we did yesterday. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you passed a test and you got the t-shirt. It doesn't mean that now you, you can carry around the ad. What it means is that you wake up each and every day and long to reflect Jesus in your home and your life more than you did yesterday. We have a shared commitment to grow in Christ. That's what binds us together. Number two, if we are going to work together, secondly, We must create wonder for the other. I'm going to say this again. We must create wonder for the other. The most famous verse in the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so, everybody? God so, everybody? Loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Think of this, friends. God looked down at humanity And God has every reason to be disgusted at humanity. Amen? He's got every reason to be like, we ought to have another flood. And he doesn't really have to look like across the globe. He can look in my bedroom. He can can look into my heart and say, you know what? This is disgusting. I'd like to start over. But instead, this is what God does. God sees the brokenness and the vileness And instead of saying, man, you are not like me, stay away. God instead runs too. God himself becomes flesh. He dwelt among us that we could behold his glory. God went too. And listen, if we are Jesus followers, when we see people who are different and people who are difficult, 
we ought to have the same wonder. I wonder what's going on there. I wonder what that story is. I wonder why she sees the world this way. I wonder why he sees the world this way. And we ought to be drawn to them, not repulsed from them. This is our call as Jesus followers. 1 John chapter 4 says, And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must... Well, I pray for him too. That's good. Must also love their brother and sister. It's not a... It's not a maybe, it's a call of God. Amen? Amen. I like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's actually talking about the church, and he says, there are many parts, just like in a human body. And verse 21, Paul says, just like in that body, and I can't say to the hand, I really don't need you anymore. The head can't say to the feet, you know what, I'm pretty done walking. On the contrary, watch this. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, can you guys tell me that word? Indispensable. You know what that means? It means I need. I need somebody in my life who votes completely different than me. I need somebody in my life who comes from a completely different cultural or ethical, ethnical background, ethical maybe too, but I need somebody that comes from a completely different place in life than me. Paul says they're indispensable. I must learn to carry some incredible wonder. Paul writes about the fruits of the Spirit. I hear Christians always talking about, I want to be filled with the Spirit. That's, I hear Christians talk about, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Paul talks about what that looks like in, in Galatians chapter 5. You know it well. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Version I memorized says patience. This one says forbearance. Forbearance seems fancier, right? Let's go with that. Um, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Like, who doesn't want that kind of life? It's Paul saying. Like, this is what we want. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is a mark of God dwelling inside a man or woman. They have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But here's the interesting thing. How is God going to show that stuff off? Like, for instance, how is anybody going to know the Spirit of living God is in you and you've got patience? It's going to put you in a waiting room. The only way that the Holy Spirit's gift of patience is going to seep out of you is if you've got to wait. And the only way that the Spirit's gift of kindness is going to show up in your life is if you've got some people around you who are difficult to love. The only way you're going to have peace and joy and love, the only way that the church is going to show the grace of God to a dying world is if we have to show grace because there's a mosaic in here. We must create wonder for the other. Amen? And last, number three, I'm going to go real quickly because the kids are telling me to. Number three, just real simple, friends. And that's why it's up here on on the... TV here, my right and left, it says we simply do it. Like we sim- we just, I heard somebody uh, this week talk about uh, 
what the church has to do. It's like if the church is going to survive into the future, they said we've got to figure out multi-ethnic churches. And I think it more simply like this, we simply have to do it. We've got to figure out how to love each other when we're so different. We've got to do it. We have to work together. I like, um, I'm skipping down here a little bit. I'm going to take you to the very end here, my last story. I love the very end of the Gospel of John. Um, this is right after the resurrection, and some really cool things happen. The, the disciples get to have these really cool encounters with Jesus. He shows up in a room. Um, Doubting Thomas gets to do what? Anybody remember? Yeah, yeah, Lori says this. <laughs> Doubting Thomas gets to touch the side of Jesus and the fingers of Jesus. They, they get to have breakfast on a beach. And so there's all these pictures that on the surface sound super, super cool. However, the reality of the end of the Gospel of John is that the, the community, the family, is, is struggling with betrayal and competition. John tells it this way because he's talking about on Easter morning, we, we don't talk about it enough, but on Easter morning, John says, Peter and I were racing to the tomb, and I got there first. So, so John wants to know there's, there's like competition in this little group, and there's some deception that took place, and one of them is a doubter, and there's all this tension. In fact, we get to the very end of the gospel of John, and they're having this picnic on the beach with Jesus, which should be so awesome. In the middle of it, Peter looks over at John, and then he says to Jesus, Jesus, what about that guy? And it's one of these moments in the Bible, you're like, man, I wish we would have taken that out somehow. I'm a little ashamed. Like, Really? After the resurrection and a fish breakfast with Jesus, you got to look over at your buddy, your brother, and be like, what about him? In fact, Jesus says in, in John uh, chapter 21, verse 22, he just simply says to Peter, he's like, Peter, man, if I want John to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then he just simply says, you must follow me. There's so much at stake, Peter. In fact, in this very same conversation, he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I love you. And Jesus' response is, anybody you remember? Feed my sheep. And then they have breakfast, and then Jesus turns to Peter. And a second time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, I think I just answered this. He says, yeah, I love you. And then Jesus fires back, tend my sheep. He's like, I get it. Okay. They have a little more food to eat, and then Jesus leans over to Peter. Anybody know what he asks the third time? He says for the third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter's heart breaks and melts. He says, God, Jesus, you know I love you. And then Jesus just looks at him in the eyes and says, then get busy about the mission. He says, feed my sheep. And here we are in 2023, and we are spending so much time worrying about what he or she are doing and thinking, wondering what's happening here and here, when Jesus is just looking at us and saying, will you simply get busy to the work I've called you to? You have the keys of the kingdom of heaven, church. You hold the keys. And whatever you lock remains locked. And whatever you unlock remains unlocked. 
So let me encourage us, church. At the heart of Jesus' mission is a Mosaic family that is on mission. Let us be that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful for a few minutes this morning. And your word... um, sorry that sometimes we have not reflected you very well. We look out at the world around us and it is filled with strife and animosity. There's wars and rumors of wars. It's a canvas of conflict. And I I find it amazing that in this canvas of conflict, you are painting. You're carefully creating with these dissimilar and disjointed and broken pieces of glass. You're creating this mosaic for a world that shows the goodness and grace, saving power of Jesus. And I pray that this church, this church would become that mosaic. I pray that we would have this shared hunger for you, Jesus, being at the center. And that, God, I pray that as we grow, somehow as we grow closer to you, that you'd be reflected more in this city. Father, I pray that you create a sense of wonder in this church for the other, not a sense of suspicion. And Father, in the end, I pray you would find us just busy about your work. Amen, everybody? Amen. I I pray when you come, you'd find us busy about your work. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.